Great, well good morning, I hope you're keeping well. And today we're beginning a new summer sermon series called Living the Jesus Lifestyle. And in this series we want to look at not only what Jesus did and taught, but how Jesus lived. What can we learn from the way Jesus lived? How did Jesus back up his words with his own lifestyle? So in this series we're going to be thinking about how Jesus welcomed all people to himself. How Jesus engaged with and embedded himself in local communities. At the same time, how Jesus travelled from place to place. How Jesus treated all people with equality and respect. And how Jesus put God first and foremost in his life. But today, we want to think about the fact that even though Jesus lived an incredibly busy life, Jesus took time out. And we're going to have a look at when Jesus rested, when Jesus took time out, and what Jesus did when he rested. And I've called this talk, Breaking Busy Before Busy Breaks You. And as we begin, I want to tell you a little story about a young man called Inigo Lopez. And this is a true story. And Inigo was born in Loyola, in the uh, Basque region of northern Spain, in 1491. And uh, at the age of 14, he was sent to train as a royal page for the king of Spain. And during this time, he learned about ideas of chivalry, and what it might mean to serve the king of Spain as a knight. As he grew a little older, he developed a uh, more than passing interest in the opposite gender. And uh, some of those were further away in his daydreams. Some, for Inigo, were temptingly close. And the last thing on Inigo's mind at the moment was God and the idea of developing a relationship with God. He didn't need any of that right now. Thank you very much. And after his training as a royal page... He went to serve the king of Spain in the royal court of Spain. And uh, when the king died, he became the gentleman at arms to the Duke of Nehero. Whilst he was serving the Duke of Nehero, he went to train for the military. And four years later, he found himself commanding a company of men to defend the fortress against a French invasion. From the beginning of this defence... It was doomed to failure, and it wasn't long before a cannonball shattered Inigo's leg and broke his knee. And at this point, Inigo's dreams came to an end. He was brought home across the mountains on a stretcher back to his home in Loyola. And of course, Inigo's shattered leg and his broken knee meant he was in agony. But for an ego, what was a far greater pain was not the physical pain of his injury, but what this injury then meant for his future. Inigo had had all these wild dreams about serving the king as a knight, of marrying the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. And now he lies in bed, back in sleepy old Loyola, broken and helpless. And up to this point in Inigo's life, he has had no time to review his direction in life. 
He's just been going from one thing to the next. He's been chasing this wild fairy tale, wild fairy tale that has, in reality, brought him nowhere. And now, as he lies in bed, he's forced to face up to reality. And as he lies there, bored out of his mind, he wants something to do. So he decides to read. And Inigo happens to be staying in a castle. And in this castle, there are only two books. One is a book on the life of Christ, and the other is a book on the lives of the saints. These are not Inigo's cup of tea. Nevertheless, with nothing else to do, Inigo decides to go for it, and he begins to read these books. And as he does so, he finds himself dreaming about what it might mean to serve a different king. Maybe this king, serving this king, would be even more exciting than serving the king of Spain. What would it mean to serve Christ as king? And an ego finds himself dreaming about outsainting the saints. Eventually, Inigo becomes known as Ignatius of Loyola, and a whole movement in Christian spirituality has sprung up around Ignatius of Loyola. And whilst God didn't cause that cannonball to shatter Inigo's leg or knee, he did use it to make Inigo stop. And in that stopping, a change of focus began to come over Inigo's life. And we also live in a world that's go, go, go. We live in a world that never stops, that is addicted to busyness. In fact, to be busy has almost become a a synonym for being successful. Unless I can say, I've worked my socks off this week. I risk being labelled as lazy or as not fulfilling my potential. And because we're in a world that's go, 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 we also love shortcuts. We love our five-minute microwave meals, 15-minute abs, same-day Amazon Prime delivery, super-fast fibre-optic broadband. And this need for speed means that we confuse at times the urgent with the important. And when our whole lives are spent focusing on meeting the needs of the urgent, at times it means that we don't have enough time to ask God about what his plan is for our lives. Even if we do have some idea about what it is God is calling us to do, if we spend our time just dealing with the urgent, we never actually have time to do what it is God is calling us to do. Last year, Virgin commissioned a survey and they found that 51% of UK employees right now in the UK have experienced anxiety or burnout in their current job. A group called Pulse also last year found that 50% of GPs are on the edge of burnout. And a group called Community Care last year found that 73% of social workers we're experiencing high levels of emotional exhaustion. 
So we live in a society that confuses laziness with rest. And at the same time, if we look in Scripture, what we see is a constant theme running through Scripture of God bringing his people into new places of rest. And it's in those periods of rest that we have the opportunity to review the autopilot of our lives, just as it was for Inigo Lopez. Rest can fundamentally change how we view our lives and the priorities we have for our lives. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we have that passage from Mark's Gospel read to us today. But I actually want to take a broader look at Jesus' life from Mark's Gospel. And as we do that, what we see is that Jesus didn't exactly have a work-life balance that we often hear about. But Jesus did have a rhythm of life. There was a flow to Jesus' life that was grounded in periods of rest. And it was these periods of rest that were the source of Jesus' security in his identity and the source of his wisdom and direction in life. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, as we do that, we're going to see in Mark's Gospel that when Jesus rested, he rested in two particular ways. And the first thing we're going to be looking at is solitude and retreat. And because we are going to be jumping around a bit in the Gospel of Mark, it would be really helpful if you had that open in front of you and just followed along as we go. So the Gospel of Mark begins on page 1002 in the Old Church Bibles. And the first thing we hear about Jesus in Mark's Gospel is in his baptism as he's baptised by John. And immediately after he's baptised, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1 say that at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So after Jesus is baptised, he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and he's sent into the desert alone for 40 days. In other Gospels, we read that as Jesus is tempted, he counters Satan's words with passages of scripture. And in Luke's Gospel, it says that as he returns from the desert and goes to Galilee, he does so in the power of the Spirit. Following this time alone in the desert, Jesus calls his first disciples and he goes on to heal many people. So for Jesus, this extended period of time, meditating on scripture, alone with God, comes before an incredibly important decision that Jesus has to make about choosing his first disciples, and comes before what will now be an incredibly busy life for Jesus in ministry. And it's also worth noting that for Jesus... This time in solitude was not a comfortable time. I think we often have the uh, impression about solitude and retreat that is quite fluffy and we have these pictures of maybe sitting by a lake or walking through uh, a forest as birds twitter and it's all nice and fluffy. 
For Jesus, being tempted by Satan in a desert is not very fluffy. In fact, for Jesus, this rest was hard work. Over the past few years, I've spent several one-week periods um, going on a week's retreats at a Christian community in France called Taizé. And some of those retreats have just been very restorative, where God has refocused my attention on him, where he's refilled me with his spirit, set my heart back on him again. But there have also been a couple of, a couple of weeks where I've been that have actually been more difficult than others. A few weeks back, I spent a week in Taizé. And for me, that was one of those more difficult weeks. And yes, it was restorative. Yes, God really met me. But it was also a time when, with God, I had to work through quite a difficult decision. And yet, just as Jesus takes this time out to pray with God, to be with God, before choosing his first disciples. As we give God that space, he can actually help clarify the situation. He can help us, help us begin to see situations from his perspective, rather than often from our own quite worldly or individualistic perspective. So Jesus spends extended time with his Father alone. So Jesus has chosen his first disciples. He goes on to deliver a man who's oppressed by an evil spirit. He heals lots of people. And then in verses 35 to 37 of chapter 1, the passage says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. A bit further on, uh, a few chapters later, Jesus has just performed the miracle of the feeding of the, of the 5,000 and he's about to walk on water. And uh, chapter 6, verses 45 to 46 say, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So Jesus has had this extended time, this 40 days alone in the desert with his father before he begins his ministry. But now we see two separate occasions where Jesus spends shorter amounts of time, but more regular time with his father as well. And although these 40 days with his father alone are important and necessary, Jesus knows that that on its own is not going to sustain him for the whole of his life with his father. All through this time, Jesus is continually going to the temple, sorry, to to the synagogue each day to take part in the regular Jewish prayers. But Jesus still knows that he needs time on his own with his father. And Jesus had to make that time. We've already thought about the fact that we live in a time-short society, where time is continually pressured. 
And maybe back in Jesus' day, time wasn't as pressured, time wasn't as short. But for Jesus, he lived an incredibly busy life. And so, in chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus wakes up early and goes to a solitary place to pray. In chapter 6, 46, Jesus withdraws from his disciples and he goes up a mountain to pray. For us, where are those solitary places? How do we put in practical methods in order to carve out that time to spend one-to-one time with Jesus? It's really important that we don't allow constraints of time to become for us an excuse not to spend one-to-one time, quality time with Jesus, reading his word, listening to him, talking to him. Unless we spend that one-to-one time with Jesus ourselves, we will not grow in our relationships with God. Maybe this summer is a good opportunity for us to perhaps begin to review some of our priorities in life. So Jesus lived an incredibly busy life. And these times of rest with the Father were his source of inspiration. It was in these places of rest that his calling came. Jesus needed time with the Father alone. But he also needed time just relaxing with friends as well. In the passage we had read to us earlier, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles on a short-term mission trip to preach the gospel and heal the sick. And as they return, there's this short testimony-sharing time with Jesus, where the apostles report to him everything they've seen happen during that time. And you can imagine them excitedly talking to Jesus about how they've prayed for someone and see them set free from an oppressive spirit, or how they prayed for someone else and they were healed of one disease or another. It would have been an exciting time for these disciples. And at the same time, it would have been a tiring occasion. These disciples would have been moving from place to place, waking up early, going to bed late. And as these crowds still continue to gather around Jesus and the apostles, now that the apostles have returned, Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I can imagine at this point, the apostles just want time to flop with Jesus. Just time to relax with him. No pressures for a little bit. A bit of R&R between ministry appointments. And this is really important as well that they do this. These guys may have been a team, but they were also friends. In this particular passage, in Mark 6, 30-34, it so happens that the solitary place turns out to be not so solitary. And uh, as Jesus and the apostles arrive at their solitary place, they find that crowds have already gathered, waiting to listen to Jesus, to what he has to say. 
And Jesus, in his incredible compassion and grace, teaches them nevertheless. And it's here that we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus and his disciples still need quality time with each other. They still need to hang out. And a couple of chapters later in Mark 9, uh, Jesus takes with him James, John and Peter. And they go off the mountain where Jesus is transfigured. And they have a day hike together. At the end of Mark's Gospel in Mark 14, there's this very difficult, but I'm sure nevertheless, very special time where Jesus shares his last meal with his disciples before he's betrayed by one of his own and then crucified. And Jesus needs this time with God. But he also needs times with his friends. And so do we. John Coyne has this expression he uses a lot about radiators and drains. Who are those people in life who just give us energy? Who just give us life? Who are those people who radiate life to us? We need to spend time with those guys. And maybe in church life, at times we emphasise spending time with God at the expense of spending time with other people. We need both. And if you're married, how much time do you actually spend together as a couple? Living in the same house, sharing a bed is not enough. It's possible to spend time in the same place without actually investing in a relationship. Maybe you could have a date night once every couple of weeks or at least regularly. If you're single, do you actively try and carve out time to spend with life-giving people, relationships that just give you energy, those radiators? Right at the beginning of Scripture, Jesus, the, the Father says, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And God says this before the fall. Even before things went wrong, God still said, it's not good for man to be alone. So in this series, we're going to be thinking about how Jesus lived as well as what he did and what he said. And central to Jesus' lifestyle was this rhythm of activism and retreat. Time doing and teaching. And then time just with God and with other people. We need to try and seek this rhythm as well. Time doing and time just with God and with others. And as we do that, as we seek to establish this rhythm in our lives, we'll find that it's those periods of retreat that will feed into that activism. That time with God and time with others will impact and shape the time we spend doing things with other people as well. Shall we pray, guys, as we come to an end?